Mac Power Users, episode 124, live from Macworld. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks, and uh, I survived, David. You, we both survived. We made it. What are you talking about survived? I thrived. It was I th- awesome. It was a great, great oh, four days, but I just came back so exhausted. I, I don't think, you know, you just want to cram every single minute you possibly can into the week that you're there. You do. You do. It's really a special time for me going to Macworld every year. And so we've got a live show for you. And uh, we uh, got good audio out of it, more or less. More or less. Uh, it's not as, as great as our usual, you know, when we're sitting here in front of studio mics. But I think it's very passable. And we did a show right on the middle of the Macworld Expo floor. And we had a live audience, which was awesome. We got to talk about some of our favorite picks. We blew out some of our feedback we had backed up and we took live questions from the audience which can always be kind of curious and, I, th- I think uh, we answered most of them yeah more or less you know um but you know i just want to say a huge thank you to paul kent and kathy moran and all of the folks at idg who made this happen we were so thrilled to actually have space dead center in the middle of the show floor and you'll hear a little bit of background noise in the audio um, but there's just something about the vibe of being right down there in the middle of everything. And, and we had kind of the diehard Mac power user fans who were there. And I got to say to you guys, I, I so appreciate you coming. I, I, I felt so lost when I came back home, I was walking around the grocery store saying, why, why is nobody saying hello to me? Because it was just the best week. We saw so many Mac power users, listeners there. Well, we're going to talk about that at the end of the show, uh, just Mac world in general and our, our take on it. So uh, let's get started with uh, the live recording. But before we do, so we don't have the interruptions in the recording, let's do our first ad read. Yeah. And this is a good one. Yeah. I, I want to say thanks to Smile for exclusively sponsoring our coverage of, of Macworld iWorld this year. And congratulations to Smile because this was a big year for them. It was their 10-year anniversary. Uh, Philip and Greg got together 10 years ago at a Macworld Expo, of all things, and we talk about how these can be great shows for networking and conferencing. And, you know, Macworld was the start of the Mac Power Users podcast, and Macworld was also the start of Smile. And some wonderful things have come out of that. And Smile threw a great party and brought their entire staff down and and, and just had an absolute blowout for their 10-year anniversary. And to cap it all off, as if that wasn't good enough, they won a Mac Observer's Editor's Choice Award for PDF Pen for iPhone. So if you're not aware of what PDF Pen for iPhone is, it's all of the great features that you love about PDF Pen slim down for your phone. And slim down, I don't mean slim down on features, but I mean slim down in size. So you've got it available in your pocket no matter where you go. It will sync up all of your documents via Dropbox, via iCloud, and you can edit, you can annotate, you can add your signatures. Uh, you can do all kinds of things with PDF for iPhone. You can go in and make corrections and whatever it is you need to do. If you've got uh, a document that you're working on and you just need to get out of the office for a little while, but somebody calls you and they want to want to know something about it, oh, you don't have to worry about where is it or do I have it because it's all backed up and it's all right there. So PDF Pen for iPhone is a great piece of software, has a ton of features, and I believe there is a video, David. Yeah, I did a, a about 45-minute video going through all the features and how to use it, and I tried to make it fun, you know, and um, they've got it up on their website. Something I did that was cool on this is 
in addition to the like full Monty 45 minute video is I made one that's just about six minutes that captures some of the most uh, useful mobile features and I formatted it iPhone size. So you can actually go to the website and watch the iPhone formatted video on your iPhone and it's, it's viewable, you know, cause usually if you do a full screencast, you've got that full max screen and you put it down to the phone, you can't watch it. You, this one you can actually watch on the phone. So I'd recommend checking that out. If you're just on your phone, you want to get good at it. But the stuff that I really find uh, PDF pin for iPhone useful on are things like signing documents or like you have just a little misspelling in it somewhere you can correct text on your phone. And with the iCloud stuff, you can be working on something on your Mac or your iPad and just through iCloud syncing automatically have it on your phone. So if you're in the middle of like in my day job contract stuff and someone calls me and they say, well, what are we going to do about that paragraph? I can just open my phone out of my pocket and I've got it right there. It makes me look like I'm so smart when, you know, I'm not really that smart. So it's, it's worth it just for that. So you check out a PDF pin for the iPhone. Fantastic app. Watch the screencast and you'll become a ninja at it. And uh, let us know how you use PDF Pin for iPhone in your life. And just to add to Katie's point, uh, Smile is a company of integrity, and it's, it's wonderful people. We really enjoy our relationship with them, and I consider them not sponsors as much as friends. Uh, I would highly recommend this software. Yeah. So go check out PDF Pin for iPhone, PDF Pin for iPad, and PDF Pin for your Mac. There's something for the whole family. Um, and uh, you can find more information about all the great software that Smile makes over at smilesoftware.com, and we'll be talking about them a little later. But before we do, uh, let's go to the Macworld Live show floor. Hey, everybody. You ready to talk about Mac Power users? It's kind of weird starting without the music, so... We'll put it in in post. <laughs> I'll, try to get, I'll try to get myself excited anyway. Yeah. Anyway, welcome everybody. This is Mac Power Users, episode one twenty-four, five, twenty-four, one twenty-something. And we're very pleased to be here at Mac World talking to you. And uh, Katie and I have a unique opportunity here to actually podcast with one another. Uh, I'm in California; she's in Florida. So normally we do these things over Skype. I've never seen them before in my life. And uh, we do a show about called Mac Power Users. And the idea behind the show is to look into detailed workflows and help people get better at being more efficient on their Macs. But we thought since we were here with so many people and we're here at Macworld, we thought it would be fun today to talk about some of the best things we've seen on the show floor and uh, what really floats our boat. So we're going to go through that. And then we thought we'd talk to the audience a little bit and see what you guys think as well. So why don't we start with that, Katie? Uh, what was your uh, one of your favorite picks you've seen so far here at Macworld? Well, full disclosure, I've, I've only been on the show floor for um, this morning and then part of yesterday, so I haven't been into Appalooza yet, which I usually save for last because that's my favorite part of the show because you can really find some, we used to call it Tiny Town, and you can really find some uh, iOS and, and Mac gems over in Appalooza, but I've, but I've done most of the left side of the show here in kind of the, the center aisle. And I found a couple of things that, that really sparked my interest. And as you, if you listen to the show, you've heard me say that um, I'm planning this big family trip to uh, Alaska later this summer that I'm looking forward to. And I've, I've got a couple of problems. I'm, I'm trying to go iPad only on this trip. 
And it's going to take a really long time to get from Florida to Alaska because if you've seen a map, they're kind of on polar opposite. Well, not polar opposite, but they're on opposite ends of the country. So I've got only a 16 gigabyte iPad, and I want to load it up with content that I can I can watch and entertain myself on the plane. So that's one problem that I need to solve: is how do I get all this content on my iPad when I only have, I mean, really a lot less than 16 gigs free once you've put got the you know all of my regular apps on there. And then the other problem is, you know, once I get there, I'm going to want to take a lot of photos, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of photos. You know, you did the Alaska trip and came back with a lot of photos. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I, I believe in backups, and um, how do I get these photos backed up somewhere if I'm traveling just with my iPad and with spotty Wi-Fi reception? So there were two products at the show um, that I thought were interesting. Uh, one is from Seagate. Seagate is introducing a brand-new hard drive. It actually got a Macworld Best of Show award. It's called the Seagate Wireless Plus. It's a one-terabyte hard drive. Um, and it's, it's you know, a, a little bit larger than, than the standard um, portable hard drives go, but that's because it's, it's got a battery, and it's, but it's still very, very portable. I mean, it's certainly smaller than a three-and-a-half-inch drive, but it, it will solve this problem. You can hook it up via USB 3.0, so it's very fast. You hook it up to your Mac. You drive all your file. You drag all your files on it that you want. And then it has an iOS app component that uh, will work work on your iPad, work on your iPhone. It's also fully compatible with Apple TV. So then you can use AirPlay and you can stream all this stuff over to the Apple TV. So that's great. That solves the problem for downloading the TV shows, downloading the movies, entertainment on the airplane, things like that. But it, you can also offload things from your iPad to the drive. So it solves that reverse problem of... Once I get there and I've taken all of these photos with my camera, all I've got to do is plug in the iPad camera connection kit, download them and get them on the iPad, and then through their app, you can offload the photos back onto the hard drive. So I don't have to worry about, I mean, I'm going to keep them on the SD card just so I have a second place that they are, but you can offload them onto the hard drive and either free up your SD card if you don't have that big of a card, although SD cards are pretty cheap now, but just have a backup of your photos. So, uh, you know, it's not that expensive. I think it's a really interesting solution. Um, they're giving them away over at the Seagate booth. and I'm not totally giving them away, but they're doing prize drawings for them. Um, and there are a couple of show specials. So uh, I, I think that's something I'm going to seriously consider picking up. So, so does that plug in through the dock, or is it a Wi-Fi connection? It's Wi-Fi. Okay, yeah, so there's a, a bunch of those products coming out where... Uh, the problem with the iPad and the iPhone is always a lack of memory. Can you not hear me? You guys hear me okay? All right. Uh, so it's interesting to see as these big manufacturers get into this space. I bought one last year. I forget which. I think you bought the HyperMac iUSB. No, it was a no. different manufacturer. But I, I use it once in a while. But the thing I find is when I go on trips, I don't really have time to watch anything. I put movies on them. I never watch them. Well, I, but, I was more so on the plane. Yeah, but this is a good way to get your pictures off. Because if you shoot with a large uh, camera that takes large pictures, that's really a benefit. Well, I have a really practical pick that, um, as a father of teenagers, it's only two thousand dollars. That's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's a robot that attaches to your iPod. Did anybody here in the audience see this thing? It's amazing. It's like a little wheel, and it's got a peg standing out of it. And you put an iPad in it, and it uses the iPad camera. So the iPad becomes the brain for this robot, but it works over Wi-Fi. And LTE, so you could like have one at your office, and then you could have it virtual robot. So like if you're the boss, you could be like going around each desk looking at people. Or better yet, if you have teenagers and you go out for the night, you could just leave the robot roaming the house. 
And See? it's just $2,000. It's called the uh, Double Robotics Double. And I'm not sure I would actually buy one, but if you're at Macworld, you definitely need to go visit this robot. That, that scares me Don't look bit. at me like that. This okay. is the first time I've ever done a show when I actually saw that look. Okay. It, it's, it's, if, if we did a video podcast, you'd see it a lot more often. <laughs> so, uh, All right, your turn. All right, here's another little thing. I actually have it if you're live in the audience to demo. This is uh, from the Skosh booth. If you're here in the show, they've got stuff on sale 25% off. It is a retractable lightning to USB cable. And uh, when I travel, I like to travel light. For example, coming to the show, I actually did Macworld without a Mac this year, and that's been an interesting experience. I'll be putting a blog post off about how I did this. And um, Apple has been careful about licensing the Lightning adapter, and you know, I'm not real sure how I feel about that. But Skosh is one of the companies that they have officially licensed the Lightning connector to. So you'll, you'll see a lot of these cheap knockoff Lightning connectors, and I'll be candid, they make me a little nervous um, so at least, I, you know, maybe, maybe I overpaid for this by getting the real deal. I don't know, but I feel a little bit better knowing that I've got the real thing and I'm not going to corrupt anything or start any fires or anything like that. Um, but it comes with a retractable cable. And so it's, you know, it's, it's very pocketable. And um, just because a lot of things aren't out yet with lightning adapters, so I plan on using this when I travel because it's a small cable that I can throw in my bag. And then for everyday use, I plan on using this in my car because my car has a USB hookup but I don't really need a long, regular white cable dangling, uh, dangling around in my car. So this is just something that I can keep retracted most of the time and always have a USB cable in my car. I think it regularly retails for 25 bucks. If you pick it up at the show, it's 19 um, They really should have given me one. That was basically an ad. No, I don't know about that. Okay. But is it really any smaller than just taking the white cord and roll, and uh, winding it up? Because it's a pretty big unit. It is a pretty big unit. The The middle piece, for those on audio, is about the size of a quarter. And then it, it may be a little bit bigger. It's definitely thicker than a quarter. And it wrangles around that. I mean, no question, if you took a cable and you wound it up and you know, put a zip tie or something, put a little, you know, little tie around it, you could get it smaller. Um, but the problem that this solves for me is... You know, I've got the cable that's not really dangling in my car. Yeah, I, I, so I've got one. Uh, it's a product that I've always loved. I play with my kids with it all the time. It's called iStop Motion, and it's a uh, motion capture application. They started making it on the Mac. It's by Boeing Software, and it's right over in Tiny Town. And they came out with version 2 this year, and it's way better. They've got better audio and a whole bunch of other tools. You can actually tether your phone to it, so they have a free phone app you can get. So you can set your iPhone on a, on a counter or a pedestal and then run the iStop motion on your iPad and you can make your own stop motion. And you say, well, why would I want to do that? Um, there's a lot of reasons you can do it. Like, for instance, every year when we put up our Christmas tree at our house, I set it up and I, I sh have it shoot a picture every 30 seconds. And at the end, we have this awesome video of our tree going up, you know, with the lights going up, my wife yelling at me about the lights because I never put them on right. And then... <laughs> taking them off and then putting them back on. Then we put the ornaments on. And at the end of the video, which is usually like three or four minutes, because if you only take one frame over 30 seconds, it gets pretty short. It's really fun, and we've collected them over the years. And every year Christmas, we like to watch them together. So that's just an example of what you can do. I also make Lego movies with my younger daughter, uh, where we build Legos and we make little uh, stop motion. I really like the idea of this on iOS, and the guys at Boink Software work really hard to make this great app. I think it also got a Best in Show award this year. I think it did, yeah. So um, it's, it's worth checking out. 
Um, another one of my picks is, this is just a really neat booth over here, this Canex booth. It's bright yellow. It's hard to miss. It's right behind us. Um, and they've got a bunch of interesting products. It's it's neat just to walk around there. One of the things I they saw that that piqued my interest was something called the My Spot, which is uh, you've you've probably heard me talk about on the show. Hi guys over there, um, you've probably heard me talk about on the show how I I take my Airport Express with me when I travel and I plug it into airports uh, or my Airport Express. I plug it into hotel room Wi-Fi. Uh, or to plug it into hotel room connections and then I have my own Wi-Fi so I can keep my Mac on and I can keep my iPad on because usually if you're lucky enough to get a wired connection which I always prefer in a hotel it's usually at a desk and maybe I want to be lounging on the on the bed or something when I'm when I'm relaxing in the hotel room and this allows you to create a small Wi-Fi hotspot um, this is um, this is a very compact device it's probably about it definitely half, maybe a third of the size of the older model Airport Express. You know, the little one that plugged that plugged into the wall directly, um, and it uses USB for power. So who doesn't have a USB adapter when they travel for power? Or some hotels even have it built in. And it's only forty bucks, so it's less than half the size of an Airport Express. So it's something that's real small, real compact, easy to throw in your travel bag, um, and you can do that. And then the other thing I saw, well, I saw a couple of things at their booth that was really interesting. Um, but I was thinking of my brother in particular. You know, he's a younger guy. He likes to game, just got his own apartment and is out on his own um, and wants to get a, a, a brand new 27-inch iMac, and that's a pretty big purchase for him. And it's kind of like, well, I can either, you know, get a TV for my bedroom or I can get the iMac. But he really kind of wants a nice TV for his bedroom because he's a gamer and he likes to plug in his video games and his Xbox and his all of this other stuff. Um, but they've got an adapter box that will allow you to plug HDMI into um, into your iMacs. So it, it's kind of this dual purpose of you can you can use your your screen, which you know they're pretty good sizes now, yeah. 21 and, and 27 inch. Um, you know, actually as as a, a screen as a video input that you can switch to, you know, for your cable box for your video games or. Are for whatever. So, you know, obviously buying an iMac is a little more expensive than buying a TV of that size, but especially if space is a consideration, you've already got the screen. Um, now, did you see it working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not working. And it's, so it's using, uh, was it uh, 1080p? I think so. And then the, um, and how much was that? You know, I didn't get a price on it. I'm yeah. sorry. There's a device I use uh, by Blackmagic that does the same thing. Uh, Blackmagic IO is they make a lot of high end stuff for video production. And when I make screencasts, a lot of times I use it to capture the native screen from the iPad if you want to get it on your Mac. So it's kind of a production tip, but it's the same type of device. I'm, but it's about 300 bucks. So I was just curious yeah. how it, it compared in price. Oh. Okay. We'll find out. We'll put it in the yeah, show notes. Okay. Um, I saw a really cool thing. It's right over here to my right. It's called Power Trek, T-R-E-K-K. And they make it, it's a device about the size of a couple uh, packs of cigarettes stacked on each other. And it has a little power unit you put into it. It kind of looks like a sterno can. But it's, it creates a chemical reaction. And you can charge your phone twice with it. So, like, if you go camping or if you're worried about the next flood or, you know, whatever, you know, the tragedy rains down upon us, earthquake here in California, you could have uh, stock up on those things, and you'd actually have a way to get power to your devices, which Is I thought was pretty cool. Is this the fuel cell one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's not released in America yet, but it will be in a month. It's already for sale in Asia and um, Europe. It's about 200 bucks to buy the unit, and then you have to buy the little cell units 
which I think were about ten dollars for three of them. Yeah, it was they were like four bucks a piece. Yeah, so individually. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really good idea if you're worried about you know disaster planning because you know our phones are pretty important to us these days. Although I guess the other question is if you had a disaster, would the cell tower still be up? But. Yeah. But what was interesting about that unit is it was two-in-one. It could be powered off the fuel cell technology in a, in a true disaster where you didn't have any other access to power. And, you know, living in Florida where we have hurricanes that come over on top of us occasionally and we can lose power for four, five, seven, ten days at a time. Um, but it also had a, a battery component. So if you are just out and about at a show like Macworld, where certainly power is abundant, but maybe not the ability to plug into a wall outlet and charge up your phone, you can detach just the battery portion and charge it up just like a regular, you know, spare yeah. iPhone battery. But my take on that was it's a lot bigger than some other batteries around here. If you want it, just a battery, right. just get a smaller one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So back to me. I, I saw something interesting real over here, and it's not shipping yet. And I hope I'm pronouncing this right. The, the way that it's spelled is like X, the letter X flex and the X flex stand. Um, and they've got a couple over here in the corner. And these were originally designed as iPad stands. And they've got a big, sturdy aluminum base. And then they've got a gooseneck with a suction cup on the back of it. And those were pretty cool. Those were already shipping. But what really piqued my interest in and is they had a much smaller iPhone stand that they're getting ready to do a Kickstarter project on. And they had the prototypes out. And they didn't have any kind of attachment mechanism to attach the phone. They were just these little aluminum stands. They were pretty good looking. They had a, a hole in them so you could run a cable up through them. And I really can't describe, I'm sure it's a trade secret or something, the adhesive that they were using to attach. But it was, you know, soft. It was almost like felt. But it was it was some kind of contact adhesive that as long as your phone, um, whether you were using a plastic metal case or some kind of, uh, you know, reflective back. I mean, if you had a, um, you know, if you had a soft back surface, it wouldn't work, um, but it would stick to it. And it wouldn't, it, you know, it wasn't sticky. So, you know, I mean, you could touch it. It wouldn't leave any residue on your phone and you would just stick your phone up on there and it would prop it up at a, a reasonable angle so you could turn it and look at it. And, you know, if you got notifications, it would be at an easy angle for you to see. And, you know, it was small, and I don't think it's going to be that expensive when it comes out, but the problem that this solves is when I'm in the office, I don't really have a dedicated place to put my iPhone. I usually just end up setting it on top of my ScanSnap, actually, and sometimes it slides off. Um, but then as the day goes on and my desk gets cluttered, it tends to get piled over with papers and things, and I have a hard time finding it, and I have to call it to figure out exactly what part of my desk it's on. Um, so it's just nice. It's small. It's very compact, and it would just be a little place where I could stick my phone and. I thought it was a good-looking stand. You know, it's funny. At Macworld, a lot of times it's those little accessories like that that really, you know, delight you. Well, it's like, what's the problem you have to be solved? If you don't have that problem, you're not going to care yeah. about this I stand. I got one a few years ago here. It was called the Stump. I don't think they're here this year. It's a little rubber thing with a wedge in it, and I use it all the time. I, and I think I paid like 10 bucks for it here. All right. The, um, uh, another uh, thing I really liked is, is a ScanSnap iX500. At Macworld Magazine gave them a... Um, a Best in Show award, and full disclosure, they're a sponsor of our show, but I, right. I still really like what they do, and it was nice seeing everybody at the booth there, and they've got $100 off, so for the people at the booth at the show, you can actually save quite a bit of money buying one of those. I actually see a couple of people in our audience with ScanSnap boxes yeah. who took advantage the, of that those deal. Are, those are good deals. Yeah. So, um, well, and that was a quick pick. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Um, I haven't had a chance to have a real good hands-on demo with this product. I love the concept, but I, I can't speak for how well it works in person. Um, oh, 40 bucks for that HDMI thing? 
Okay. Well, it's a lot cheaper than 300. All right, that HDMI. Um, the, so, so let's go back. This is the uh, HDMI input for the iMac, right? Is what we're looking at for over for Canex. Yeah. Was 40 bucks. Wow. It's All nice right. having a live audience. I know. They can do our research. We should do this more often. Um, all right, so my next pick um, is something called the iCalc. And I'm, I'm really into this minimalist desk, and I like the idea. I like the, I like the Apple wireless keyboard, except it doesn't have a numpad. And I've, I'm a touch typist, but for whatever reason, I never really used to learn to use that first row of keys on the top of the keyboard. I always use the numpad for typing in my numbers, and that's been the one reason that I've never been able to use the Apple wireless keyboard is because it doesn't have a numpad. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and assuming maybe one day Apple would release a wireless keyboard with a numpad, but they haven't yet, so I think odds are they probably aren't. Um, and then especially with it being tax time, I was you know starting to do my taxes before we left for Macworld and then got you know upset with that and decided to stop, and I didn't need that frustration before Macworld. Um, so a calculator is kind of another thing that I kind of need on my desk. So this is a two-in-one um, numpad and calculator that's made to match the look, feel, and size of the Apple aluminum keyboard. And then it will click together. I couldn't quite tell if it was magnets or how it was doing it. Is it magnets? It will click together with magnets to the Apple aluminum keyboard, and it's got a mode function on it. So if you click it together, you click a mode button, and it will act as a numpad. I think it connects via Bluetooth. And if you click it again, you can detach it, and it will just be a regular standard um, you know, calculator that has a screen at the top, then you can, you know, do your regular addition, subtraction, multiplication, whatever. So it's a dual purpose um, calculator and numpad. So it may be something that gets me using the Apple wireless keyboard. Now, Katie, you keep your mouse on the left side, right? Is that what you do? Uh, the trackpad on the left side. You just held up your right hand. Well, okay. Trackpad on the left side. <laughs> okay. See, this is yeah. why you, it's better if you don't see me. <laughs> well, the... The, the reason not why those number pad things never were really attractive to me is I spent so much time going over to the trackpad or the mouse that I didn't want to have to travel that extra, you know, six inches. And just the way my desk is set up. But uh, they, they make sense if you do a lot of 10 key, though. Yeah. So can you put it on the right side as well if you wanted? I don't see why not. Yeah. That might. But that, that would just though. be wrong. Yeah. So judgmental. <laughs> All right. You want to do maybe one more pick each, or uh, yeah, much I, more? We, I, I can do one more. The um, uh, there's a uh, there's another device out. You know, the, everybody's been making these things to attach to your iPhone to use as a remote control for your TV. I thought the Spicebox Mouse, I think, is how you pronounce it, M A U Z. Uh, it was a Kickstarter project. It's out here. It looks kind of neat. It uses gestures instead of just a tap on the screen. Um, I feel like kind of a sucker because I keep buying these things and I never use them. Um, but I'm going to, so I didn't buy it, but I looked at it, and I'm going to go back and look at it again. So that one may, might be one worth looking at. Yeah. How about you? You got any more? I got one more. All right, go I, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit about the new OmniFocus 2 that we saw All last right. night. Let's do it. Um, so I, I don't know, a couple of you were probably in line with me. David got to walk in the back door, but I had to stand in line with everybody else. Um, and there was this long line of geeks getting ready to go see the brand new OmniFocus 2. Yeah. Uh, and I was just stunned and thrilled with what they've done with it. Um, OmniFocus is really, I think, 
lowered the barrier to entry with OmniFocus 2, but yet kept all of the, the power user features that an audience like ours is going to want. Uh, it's, a, it's a great new look. They've borrowed a lot of the UI elements from the iPad and the iOS app, so it's a lot friendlier. It's not as intimidating. They're going to be doing a pro and a standard version, so um, you know, as a first step, you can get in for 40 bucks when it becomes available. Um, and I think what Ken said is, you know, you're not going to have to get a degree in OmniFocus, so you're not going to have to watch the 147 hours of screencasts that David did on OmniFocus, you know, to be comfortable using it. Um, it's going to be a lot more intuitive. And I was just really impressed with the things they put together. And well, for the record, my screencasts are actually 272 hours. Okay, my bad. I was, I was trying to. Yeah, but it, it is great, and uh, it's worth checking out. And I think they've got a blog post up on it. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Omni's written some stuff about it there. I think there's some post up on their blog about it. So I, I'm just very excited and can't wait to get our hands yeah. on that. I'll tell you one thing I just love is just being at Macworld. You know, it's it's just so fun to be around the tribe. You know, I was uh, walking down the aisle today and I met a guy and his son, his son was 11 years old and his son started quizzing me on AppleScript. And... Talking that kid's going to be your boss one day. He was actually, he was actually, he had taken one of the scripts I wrote and tore it apart and basically wrecked me, and um, and everything he said was right, and I just wanted to grab him. Well, first I wanted to grab him, but then I wanted to grab him and take him and introduce him to, him to some of our friends because this kid is going to be uh, writing the next great app, I'm pretty sure. But it's just a, a little example. I mean, you meet people here from eight to eighty. And everybody has this in common that they love Macs and the Apple ecosphere. And it's just, I, I find coming here every year just as enriching for me so much. I, yeah. I go home feeling energized. Well, you know, I had lunch today. I just ran across the street. There's a little food court yeah. before our podcast. And I ended up, um, you know, I was over there by myself and I saw somebody I knew. And I ended up sitting at a table with a group of people. And the person sitting across from me lives two hours from me uh, and is an Apple consultant. And, you know, can solve a problem that I have with my Mac user group. And we exchange cards. And I'm sure we'll be in touch about training and things like that. I mean, you just you, you meet people at Macworld that yeah. um, there are people. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So I thought what we'd do next, it's, you know, because we have a live audience, we've got a lot of feedback uh, from prior shows that are just little tips. And I thought it would be fun to go through that rather than, than do the usual hour and a half slog. Okay. So um, why don't we go through some of our feedback? Let's and then that. we can take some questions from the audience as we get deeper into it. All right. All right. Um, so uh, we did a show on fitness a while back. And Katie and I, you know, turned all our cards over and talked about what we've been doing to try and get more fit. And we had some great feedback from that show. One of them was uh, uh, about the, this app called the Gorilla app, and it's on iTunes. And uh, it's a, because I had talked about doing body weight exercises because I'm too te- cheap to join a gym. And apparently there's this great app called uh, uh, Gorilla app on the, I- uh, the iPhone app store, and it allows you to choose between uh, different exercises you can do without any gear. I thought that was a good idea. Yeah. I would like to say for the record, I've got my Fitbit. I haven't lost it yet. And I've got 4,301 steps today. All right. Good for so, you. <laughs> that happens at Macworld. Oh, another another uh, uh, listener wrote in and talked about the Wii Fit, which I thought was kind of cool. We were talking about geek technologies, but if your kids have a Wii or you have a Wii, they have a device for that, a balancing device that you can do your exercise on that, too. I thought that was also a good idea. Yeah. 
you know, the interesting thing is I have a lot of people um, who have talked to me about these treadmill desks. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool. Actually, one of my attorney friends has just ordered one, and I was like, seriously? Really? You're going to go see clients and, like, have invite clients into your office in front of a treadmill desk? And she says, well, I opted for the higher-end model that had the fake wood veneer finish. So, yeah. Um, but that's, that's become quite a thing. And you'll see these people who have these treadmill desks. And, and there's some conversion kits where if you have your own treadmill and you can, um, or, you know, buy a used treadmill. I mean, you can go buy a used treadmill at a garage sale or Craigslist or eBay. Well, yeah. eBay would be bad. It'd probably be bad to ship. But, um, and convert your own desk into a treadmill desk. Or you can, um, you know, just buy a brand new treadmill desk. And those people, if you're friends with them on the Fitbit app, they do insane number of steps today. Yeah, because you're sitting there in front of it all day. But I was thinking, I don't know if I could really do that. You know, sit in front of the thing and walk all day and read and type on the computer. Well, you walk very slowly. I'm not very good at multitasking in general, so I'm not sure. As how long it as you work. don't chew gum, you'll be okay. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So. And we also got someone wrote in because we've been talking about these Fitbits, and it's cool to see all the listeners at MacWorld that are all pulling out their Fitbits out of their pocket and showing them to me. So I'm glad everybody's using them. Uh, but there's a there's a there's a uh, website called StepStats.com. So if you have your own Fitbit, it's actually a better interface than the the Fitbit built-in site. So somebody decided to make their own interface for it. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, that's good. So, well, you know, I was talking earlier about um, the Alaska trip and how I'm planning on using something like the Seagate Bridge or the iUSB that the HyperMac people are doing. Um, in order to get my photos off of my iPad and out of my camera using the camera connection kit and the iPad as a bridge to get those photos off there. Um, But a lot of people were talking about, you know, if you've got at least sporadic Wi-Fi access, you can use um, either PhotoStream or Dropbox as a bridge to get your photos off. And um, I tried the PhotoStream thing. Uh, I ran into a little problem with that. You know, I've got this Mac Mini at home that's kind of sitting at home always on. And I tried to connect my Mac Minis using PhotoStream to my PhotoStream account thinking, all right, well, I'm going to set an automator action that will launch iPhoto and then an hour later close it down. So at least once a day I've got iPhoto launched. It'll suck in my PhotoStream photos and an hour later we'll close it down. But I, I ran into this problem where apparently you can't have two Macs sucking down the same PhotoStream photos at once. So, yeah. oops. So that killed that idea. And then someone wrote in with this idea that I didn't think about. Um, you know, I don't normally have the Dropbox Photo Sync turned on um, my iPhone because I've got the, the photo stream working. And it's just then I end up with a bunch of duplicate photos because I've got the photo stream going on my iPhone and the Dropbox photo. But they said, well, maybe just turn it on on your iPad because your iPad, I, I'm not one of those people who goes up and takes photos with my iPad, but I do use the iPad as a, as a transport device for photos. So I'll plug in the camera connection kit to get photos on there. But if you enable the Dropbox camera download on the iPad, it will suck down all those photos into Dropbox. And then as soon as you're on Wi-Fi, it will send them back up to the Dropbox. And then, of course, Dropbox will keep them in their server, and then it will connect with your multiple devices. And then I set up a Hazel rule that will watch that Dropbox folder and auto-import those photos into iTunes or iPhoto. So I may end up with a couple of duplicates with PhotoStream, but um, because I'm using the iPad as more of the transport, I'm not ending up with all the duplicates of the iPhone camera that I take. Yeah. So that may work as a, as a solution so long as I've got reasonable access to Wi-Fi. Yeah, another point that we didn't make on that show when we were talking about um, using uh, PhotoSync to share your photos is it doesn't do videos. So That's right. So if you shoot video on your iPhone you're not going to be able to automatically send it up through Apple's photo sharing service. So Dropbox is good for that. 
I received an email from a listener who said that uh, photo, Apple's PhotoStream actually reduces the resolution of those images in PhotoStream to a uh, maximum size, which is less than some of the cameras. I have not been able to test this yet. Have yeah, you... I think it reduces it to the large size, which is still reasonable, but it, there is a reduction. Yeah, but if you've got a 16 megapixel camera... That's going to be quite a reduction. And you... Uh, and you think that it's still that size when you get back home from Alaska and you delete the pictures from your phone because you think you've already captured them, you've got a problem. So I actually want to investigate that more. I may be wrong. I haven't been able to test it yet. But if that's the case, uh, that's another reason to be wary of photo sharing. If, you know, if you're taking a picture, you want to get blown up pretty large. Right. We also had a lot of messages about our note-taking episode that we did with Mike Rohde. Yeah. And, um, and I had talked in it about how I was using the... Um, the cards that Aaron Mankey has out, what were they called? The, um, the frictionless cards, I mm-hmm. believe. And several people wrote into me to say Levenger um, also has really nice quality cards. Didn't you show me one? Didn't you hand me one last night that somebody, or no, you? Yeah, uh, we had a listener who uh, took us up. When we did that show, we talked about the idea of putting a, a grid on the back of your business card. We had a listener actually go ahead and do it. Yeah, <laughs> that, was that was pretty cool. clever. Yeah. Um, and when we did the journaling show, we had a, a lot of uh, feedback about that. We've been talking repeatedly lately about using day one in various means. Uh, Katie's using it. Uh, well, I guess you could explain it, how you're using day one. Yeah, I'm using day one, which is a journaling app. It, there's a Mac version. It's one best of, uh, best of the App Store a couple of years ago. I think last year um, or 2012. And so it's, it's in the Mac App Store. It's in the iOS App Store. It's in the... Um, yeah, it's in all the Apple app stores. Um, and I actually wrote this up recently for uh, Don McAllister's Screencast Online magazine. That, ca- that I think it came out today. So it's in today's, today's issue of Screencast Online Monthly Magazine. But I've been using Day One as a professional journal. I've never been into the idea of a personal journal. I, you know, I'm just not a dear diary. Today I ate this kind of person. That's what I use Twitter for. Um, so what I've been doing is I've been using Day One to kind of keep track of all of my professional things. So when I'm on the phone, I'll put in a quick note, telephone conference with XYZ person. This is what we discuss. This is their callback number. Um, And then I've set up text expander snippets with commonly used things. So I've got a text expander snippet for a meeting, a text expander snippet for a telephone conference. Um, I've got a text expander snippet for a new file. So when I do a new file consult um, with somebody, it's got all the required fields like you know, these are the parties, this is their contact information, you know, this is the history, this is the client's goal, and then it's got generic action items both for me and my assistant. And, you know, I just, it took me a little while to develop these, and I'm still, I'm still editing them and tweaking them depending on what works best. Um, but, so getting all of the information, day one app has been great for that. But what's equally important is making sure, you know, it's just like a GTD system, Capturing the information is only one step of the process. You've got to make sure that you go through and you do a review of that information that you're capturing because otherwise you're just capturing this information and it's going into this abyss. So depending on what my day looks like or my week looks like, I will actually calendar and block out time in my day to review these and go through and make action items. Um, You know, I'll either add omni-focus tasks or I'll send out assignments to my assistant and um, setting aside set time to go through and review every single thing that I've put into day one, maybe make a contact card or forward task to the appropriate person, 
if I don't do it at the end of every day, I will always do it before I leave the office on a Friday. I'm not allowed to leave the office until I've gone through and reviewed all that. And it's just kind of become another, another inbox, or maybe not another inbox, but perhaps a primary inbox for, for all of this information. And it's worked out really well. Um, you know, for a couple of things, obviously as an attorney, the billable hour is very important. So it's helping me capture my time and realize what I'm doing. Um, it, it's, it's a centralized place where I'm taking better notes. And so I've, I've got better documentation for my file. But the unexpected thing um, is my assistant really likes it because I'm able to send her and email her notes out of day one. And she's getting a lot more information about the history of a file and what's going on. And she tells me that she feels like she's more in the loop. You know, so instead of me just giving her one or two action points, you need to do this, you need to do that, she feels like she's getting the whole picture and the backstory and is, is more in the loop on what's going on in a file. So that, that seems to really be helping. Yeah, so following up on you explaining that, I decided to give it a try. I use Day One, which is a gorgeous app, by the way. If you want to try any kind of journaling, I think that's where you start. Um, but I use it mainly for navel-gazing and, you know, actually using it as a diary. And, but I thought it'd be interesting to try and use it professionally as well a little bit. So I explored it, and, you know, they have a tagging system in day one. It works on the iOS app. It's very clever. But on the Mac version, there are no tags, and I was very confused. I wrote on Twitter, and the um, developer wrote me back and said, well, it supports tags, but you just put a hash before it. So if you want to tag something for a particular professional or whatever, you just write hash, you know, work, for instance, and then that entry will get a tag. So you could theoretically use it for both personal and work things. And I played with it for a few days, but ultimately I decided not to use it because I just don't want to mix those two things, and I like it so much for a personal diary. Um, And what I do, my solution for that problem you're talking about, Katie, is in the app NVAlt, which we've talked about many times on the show. Brett Terpstra is at the show, by the way. Um, I have a separate text note for every event or, you know, key matter or whatever in my life. And in there, that's all written in Markdown. So one of the entries, it's a level one entry, is comlog, C-O-M-M-L-O-G. And then underneath that, I just run a text expander snippet. So if I'm on the phone with somebody, I type in the date string, date and time string, it puts it in there, then I can add a few notes. And the advantage to me for that over what you're doing is that it's it's a, a running log. So I can open up that one file and just go back and see the whole history as opposed to having to search for it. Have you have you had that problem with day one for the, your use, like searching to find prior notes? No, not really, because I'm you know I, I know certain certain keywords to put in. Okay, it's kind of like searching mail, really. Uh, yeah, okay. But and and to go back to your point, it doesn't have to be day one. I yeah. mean, the, the whole idea behind this concept. You know, it's, it's, I'm rereading David Allen's Getting Things Done book. Yeah. And the whole idea behind this is finding a trusted system, putting your stuff in it, and going through and reviewing it, and not having little bits of information and little snippets everywhere. I don't need to have four Post-it notes on my desk with random pieces of information that tomorrow I'll have no idea what those pieces of information mean. It's having a system, using the system, putting the information in the system so that you know it's in there, knowing how to get the information out and regularly reviewing it um, so that you know and, and putting everything where they belong. I mean, for you, it's in all. Day one is just the, the yeah. mechanism that's worked for me. Yeah, you can it, do it on napkins. It doesn't matter as so long as it works for you. Right. Um, we got we heard from Andrew, listener, who said as an alternative to day one, he would look at an app called O Life, O H L A L I F E, 
And what you can set up, it looks like you can set up your own private server, so he thought it would be a little more private if someone wanted to do it that way. Mm -hmm. I looked at the website, it looked like a nice app, but I didn't really play with it very much, but there it is. Yeah. And then we had a lot of people who talked to us about the uh, note-taking show that we did with Mike Rohde and just said, you know, we forgot to talk about mind mapping. Yeah, I can't but, believe that. Well, but, you know, we did a whole show on mind mapping. Yeah. So I, I kind of skipped over it intentionally. But I would just mention to people that we did a panel with Macworld Magazine yesterday. Um, and I believe, I, well, I know it was recorded. I know it was streamed live. And based on what they've done in the past, they've typically put them up on YouTube and had them available um, for watching later. So hopefully that will be available because David did an entire session on the whole um, OPML, you know, mind mapping to outlining to mind mapping to writing process that, that he works through. Yeah. So, uh, and we did a whole show on that called Cooking Ideas. So if you, if you haven't listened to that one, go check that out. But uh, mind mapping is a way to take notes in a meeting, though. You know, I, I just don't do it, but it works. Um, we also had some alternative suggestions for note-taking apps on iOS. Uh, one of them was Note-Taker HD, and we had several people write in. I think Justin was the first one to write about it. And uh, I actually included Note-Taker HD in my iPad at Workbook uh, that went out like a year ago. And it's a really good app. I just I don't use it anymore, but I know they've continued to iterate. And it, there's really no shortage of riches for really good note-taking apps on the iPad. I mean, everybody realized that the device is just naturally made for that. So a lot of very smart developers got into that game. So Another one that we heard about was Notes Plus. Scott wrote in about that one. And we got a really cool link sent to us. Katie, did you see this one about uh, visualization techniques, periodic table? I thought that was really fun. Somebody made a periodic table, but instead of including elements, it has ways of communicating information. And that's something I'm very interested in. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, and I'd recommend going and checking that out. Right. So you want to take some questions? Yeah. we got a lot of people here. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. Well, well, well we can't hear you, so. To answer your question, the bathroom is down the hallway and to the right. I got that one. <laughs> um, I was just looking for the day one on my app store. And it saw that there's the journal for Evernote free. And since I'm using Evernote now after reading your book, yeah. I'm just wondering if you use that at all. Is it uh, perhaps another alternative that might be good? Yeah, there's a lot of people who use Evernote as their sole journal. I mean, it works. Try it. It's free. You've got nothing to lose. Um, and, and again, it doesn't have to be day one. Day one is just the piece that stuck for me. NVAlt is the piece that stuck for David because, you know, it syncs through drop. NVAlt syncs through, you know. Yeah, Dropbox it syncs through everything. Everything, really. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be day one. If it's Evernote for you, Evernote syncs through everything, too, just about, because it's available on all of your stuff. So. Yeah, the question was, what was NVAlt? Yeah, NVAlt is a, uh, it's a little application that has text files. So you can have multiple text files in it, and it syncs through Dropbox. So you can have apps on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, and they'll all sync with it. So it's a really efficient, it's really easy to create new notes and add notes to it. And, and the whole thing is searchable. And uh, so it's, it's, it's actually a derivative of an original program called Notational Velocity. And then um, a really smart guy, Brett Terpstra, the guy who wrote, co-wrote the 60 Tips book with me, is a programmer. And he did, him and a few other guys really, um, they did it like a branch of Notational Velocity, which they call NVAlt, and it has some additional features 
For instance, if you like to write Markdown, it's really good for that. What other questions are out there? So this is more of a process question. So I was wondering, you guys test a lot of different apps to talk about them later, but at the same time, you have full-time jobs and full-time lives, and you're using stuff regularly in them. And I'm wondering sort of how do you go back and forth between exploring a new thing and then getting things into it getting, and then getting things out of it to go back to your normal things. Yeah, you know, Clones. That, <laughs> that's really a challenge because there's always this great new stuff. And because we're both geeks, we, we like new stuff. And we like shiny things. So we hear about something interesting and we both want to check it out. And, and, but I find that really very quickly I can tell if it's something that I'm going to be interested in or not. And, um, and when it is something, I usually try and give it a couple weeks. Like right now I've been using, you know, I've been a big fan of Launch Bar forever, which is a great launching app. But about uh, three weeks ago, I started using Alfred because everybody's talking about it. And I said, well, let's see how it looks now. And, man, it's come a long way since the last time I used it. And I've been using it three weeks now, and, and it's, it's kind of sticking. And, and that's really the thing. You give something a try for a while, long enough to give it a fair shot. But you'll know if you like it if you stop thinking about the fact that you're using it and you're just doing stuff with it. And uh, that's kind of how I do it. And to be honest, as I, as I do this more and more... I'm not quite as fiddly as I used to be because there, there's some really good tools and, you know, cream rises to the top. So we try to focus on that stuff, but, but you do have to go through some, some clunkers along the way. Yeah, and I've never, I don't think I've ever quite been as fiddly as you are. I, I tend to find Not many a, people are. Okay. I, I tend to find something and stick with it. So uh, what I try to do is, you know, I, I, I've got feelers out there. I've got, you know, cer- certain, what I've tried to do is I've tried to develop a trusted network of people, sources, and sites that I trust. You know, who, who do I trust to tell me, you know, kind of my early warning system out there, who do I trust out there to tell me what are the interesting things? You know, Don McAllister is a great source with his Screencast Online. And, you know, I can watch and see what Don does on Screencast Online and say, yeah, maybe I'm interested in that and maybe I'm not. And, you know, after watching a 30 to 45-minute screencast that he does, maybe that'll save me, you know, hours or weeks of, of fiddling with something because I either am or I'm not interested. In, you know, or, or certain blogs and certain RSS feeds that I, I subscribe to. But I, I've actually gotten a little flack from people because they'll accuse me of, you know, you always promote the exact same app. Why do you do that? And it's because when I find find something that works really well for me, I, I tend to be very loyal and I tend to stick with it. I mean, if you look at my iPad, I have one screen of apps. I mean, I've got some folders on there, but I don't have screens and screens and screens of apps and stuff that I try because when I find it and I like it and I use it, I use the heck out of it. And if I don't, it's, it's gone. It's out of there. I've forgotten that you've even existed and let's never speak of this experience again. I, I so. think Katie needs to give me her nerd card. I think she just lost it. Do you think? And did you notice that when she's talking about the people she goes to to find apps, she didn't There's this guy, me. Sparky, who does a website of some kind. Um, <laughs> no, you were, you were in that trusted network of people. But I do. When, you were. When, you when, were. Some, when something piques my interest, I go out there and I'll check it out and I'll try it for a while. But, uh, and, and I have. And I do switch. And I, I have switched from time to time. But, you know, once I've got something that I really like, you've really got to give me a compelling reason to move out of my system and into another one. But I'll tell you something else. If you burn me, we're done. You know. I, I think there's, you know, some of the software developers, some of the people in this room right here just delight me when they come up with something and they spend the time to think about it and make it in a way that makes my life easier. And I love that sense of delightment. So I, I'm definitely adventurous and like to see the, the apps out there. And um, 
I, that's just, you know, I guess that's my weakness. I don't, I don't have one screen of apps on my iPad, let's just put it that way. But uh, it, it is a lot of fun. I mean, I guess to answer your question, I do it because it's fun. I do have six folders full of stuff on that one screen. Okay. So I, uh, yeah. What other questions do you have? I saw some, yeah. I just have a question about naming conventions for, um, you know, the proprietary apps that you can store notes and, and text files and things in. I know you have your naming convention for files on your Mac, yeah. but for things like in an iOS device uh, that you put into Evernote, do you use a particular naming convention that then lends itself to exporting it out of that later into something that's um, more easily searchable? Yeah. Okay, so let the uh, record reflect that at 42 minutes after the hour, we had a question about naming conventions. You, sir, are in the right place. And uh, so we'll be going for about another 45 minutes on that session. Yeah. Actually, I, naming conventions for me are a big deal because our computers have millions of files on them. And the um, it is truly a needle in a haystack if the haystack went to the moon. And so you have to be really careful when you save a file on your computer. If you don't know where it's at, and you don't give it a good name, you are never going to see it again. And a lot of people have important data. So um, I've, I wrote in the paperless book about this at some length, and I did an article for Macworld magazine. But I always think that even though files have a date stamp on them, a great way to name a file is starting with the date in the, um, in the standards format, which is year as four digits, hyphen, month as two digits, and hyphen date is as two digits, always with leading zeros if you need them. For instance, today would be, um, what is today? Is today the first? I've lost Today's track. February 1st. Okay, yes. so we would say 2013-02-01. And I agree with that, except I don't like the hyphens. I use dots. Well, if that makes you happy. <laughs> no, I, 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 but you know, it's funny. I, um, I thought about that. And I look at the dots, and the dots are harder for me to read. If you put them in a list, the hyphens are actually easier to distinguish as you go down the list. So, so make your I case think the for the dots. The hyphens are ugly. The hyphen they take up so much more space. You think they make your ugly. they make your name longer, so you can't see as much of the name. Okay, well, just to make Katie happy, then I usually put a space and, and then another blind. hyphen, and then I put a description. And that's my standard naming format. When I do, like I was talking earlier about when I talk to someone on the phone, I take a note. Uh, that date string format goes in just like that. You can put a time indicator in there as well using a colon. And to answer your question, I do that, like NVAlt is the place I do that the most. And so, the, so that's, that's the date naming method. But then I also have categories. So in essence, I create tags within the file names. So... Uh, like stuff that's related to the Max Sparky website is all Max Sparky X. And you put the X in there for the reason that when you search the word, only things that you've intentionally put that tag in there work. And, and so I can create notes like that and very quickly drill down to them. But the, the documents I share that on go through all my devices. So my current text editor of choice is Rightroom on the uh, I, iOS apps on the iPad because it's just... It's just a wicked fast syncing with Dropbox. So my NVAlt database is just a series of text files that's located on my Dropbox storage. And then Rightroom looks at that exact same folder and yanks everything in. And it pulls the same names over. So to, for text stuff, which is what I'm naming a lot, it goes that way. For documents, I use, like I said earlier, the date format with a description afterwards. That causes some trouble sometimes on iOS because some of the apps don't have enough room in the date string or in the name string to give you 
the whole you know enchilada. So suddenly you see the date and a couple letters of the name, but not the full name. Which is uh, why it's more important you should dots, not dashes. Okay, so one second, I'm going to take your question. Just one second. The problem, but I find that because my life is simple enough, that doesn't cause too much trouble for me, and I can search the document names. But if I was in a business where I generated 200 documents a day, I would have to do something more compressed than that. Um, and then in terms of applications that do auto-naming files, I'm not a big fan of those. I mean, any time that, you know, like document management or any kind of data that you create where the application says, don't worry about this, I'll handle it for you. I know as geeks we're supposed to like that, but it makes me nervous because I've been bit in the past where I invested my time into an application like that. It has this proprietary data system. It saves all the data for me. It works like wonders. And then the guy who makes it goes and gets a job at IBM or Apple or somewhere and abandons it. Or the company goes bankrupt. Or, the, or they come out with a new version of an operating system. They decide they're not going to support it. And suddenly I've got all this data buried somewhere and it's really hard to get it out, even if there are ways you can get it out sometimes, but not always. So I try to avoid that stuff, really. is I, I, I think I'm kind of jumping around your question a little bit. Did I answer it? Maybe I know, Katie, you use Evernote, so maybe, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about your naming structure for Evernote. So I use a lot of the same techniques that David does. I, and, and even Evernote has great search capabilities, but sometimes it, it's too much because I found sometimes that the Evernote search will find too much because I, I, I've got the Evernote Pro account, so it, it OCRs everything that I put in there. So if I type a single word into Evernote, I'm, I'm getting words that are in documents that may or may not be anything related to what I'm doing. So I use the same principles that David talks about and that I try to use specific... I, I try to put keywords into the title of my documents. So like David, I, I do put the timestamp and date stamp, of course, with the appropriate dots as opposed to hyphens in the date stamp. But I'll have uniform naming conventions for certain things, and then I'll have specific notebook. I, I organize Evernote kind of like I organize my finder. I will have specific notebooks for things. For example, um, I don't know if you saw the talk that we did up at Macworld, but this is the, what I did is I will have a notebook for statements. And that will include, like, basically any of the statements that you get in the mail. Um, and then so those will be organized. Cox Cable is my cable provider. It will be, you know, for today it would be 2013-02-01 space Cox in all capital letters. Actually, it wouldn't have the 01 because it's a monthly statement. So it would just be 2013-02 because it would be the February statement. Um, and that's it. Um, and that because I could search within that Cox statement um, for my utility bill it would be same thing except instead of Cox it would say utilities for my Verizon cell phone bill same thing except it would say Verizon and I know those are always in, in my statements notebook and then I have a sub notebook for everything associated with my house and I have just kind of a, a standard house notebook and then I have a legal, what I call a legal and warranty, you know, which is all that stuff that they give you when you when you close on your house and all those warranties and, and then I have a manuals notebook so I can search in there. So I can narrow down my searches by making sure that I'm in the correct folder but I always, I always have that date string and then I try to put in my descriptions exactly what is in there. So for example um, 
if I'll, you know, if it's a if it's an explanation of benefits that you get from your insurance company from time to time, you know, if it's just a regular explanation of benefits for a checkup, I'll just put in the date and, you know, EOB and this is what it is. But if it's from when I sprained my ankle and I may need that for certain kind of uh, things, then I will add that to the end of it. You know, here's my 2013, you know, EOB sprained ankle. Or, you know, I will add additional keywords so that if I'm searching for something, I will be able to find it about, you know, I need all the things related to when I had my ankle sprained. And I can I can go in and, and search for those and find that. That's probably a bad example, but yeah, you know it's interesting. Evernote has come a long way. I, I at first I wasn't a big fan, but now I'm actually using it quite a bit too. And I do use folders to contain it, but I'm a big fan of the folders. I mean, just to follow up on my earlier comment, um, I've talked a lot in the podcast over the years about Hazel, but just to use Katie's example, because Hazel can search the text of the document. If we get an EOB statement, an explanation of benefits from our insurance, we just stick it in a scanner and you push the blue button on the scan snap. It puts it in. It sees that it says Kaiser explanation of benefits. I think I just told everybody my insurance company. Yep. But, and then it, it names it with that name format and it drops it in a folder so we don't ever see it. Um, so I don't think there's really a good solution, although I've always felt like, and maybe it's because of my legal training, um, there's a whole bunch of people selling these contained systems to store documents and do that stuff for you. And I've always felt like it's a bit of snake oil sales. You know, they want you to buy into their system that makes them a lot of money but doesn't necessarily make it easy for you to find documents. Well, and I will tell you, in my day job, we are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting out of one of those proprietary systems that we spent tens and tens of thousands of dollars getting into a couple of years ago because we didn't want to pay the tens of thousand dollars for the maintenance and support that we didn't quite realize was part of the package deal. You know, this was for file archiving. I'm like, guys, all we got to do is PDF them and keep them with a normal naming convention. We don't need to put them in this fancy schmancy system. Um, so it, some, it's getting out sometimes can be very painful. That's one of the reasons that I like Evernote. I normally don't like proprietary systems, but with one of the more it hasn't been that recent now, but within the last year or so, Evernote has gotten a lot easier to mass export documents because, you know, for example, I've got like a tax receipts folder. I've got a 2012 tax receipts folder that's got special tags on it. You know, I can mass export that to a folder and boom, send it to my accountant. You know, done. You know, we, we got one more piece of feedback I forgot to mention here. Uh, I talked in a show about Sleep Cycle. Does anybody here ever use Sleep Cycle? All right. So... When I put this on my phone, my wife thought I was completely insane. It's an app on your, on your phone that measures vibration. And it, it notices, like, because, you know, as you sleep, you go through your REM cycle. And is that the word, REM? Well, okay. I, I think the REM sleep is, like, yeah. stage five of your sleep cycle. Well, anyway, so you go through the cycle. Uh-huh. And so at different points, you're more and less awake. And this little app, I think it's two bucks. You put it on your phone. You plug your phone in, and then you lay it on the mattress. Or you lay it under your comforter, but basically you put it on your bed. And as you fidget in, during the night, it keeps track of that. And you say, I want to wake up at 5, but it takes a half-hour window around then. And it figures out when you're more willing to wake up than when you're in deep, deep sleep. And I've been using this app for like a year. And everybody that I know that finds out my dirty secret that I use this app to sleep thinks I'm completely insane. Well, I talked about it on this show 
we have got so much email from listeners who also use it, and I feel very much enriched. So I don't really have anything to share except to say I'm not alone on that. 87% last night. See, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. We may have time for one or two more questions. We've yeah. uh, got quite a crowd now towards the end. Where'd you guys all come from? So. Adam Christian is here. Oh, they're all following Adam. Okay. With his, with his whole um, entourage. That's Everybody, what Everybody there is. is the original Mac podcaster, Adam Christensen. Yay. Um, anyway, so anybody have uh, additional questions? Otherwise, we'll just... Oh, we got one more. Okay. I have a question for screencasts. Um, I know you're really into that, and you make really beautiful screencasts. And I was just wondering the, the equipment that you use, the, the workflow, the apps, and so on. Sure. Uh, first, I get a, a Sony Handycam, and I put it on my shoulder. And point it at the TV? Yeah. No, the, um, it's really not that complicated. Uh, if you want to do any screencasting, and screencasting is the method of capturing your screen like a video as you use it. And I used it like in the paperless book a lot. There's a great app called ScreenFlow. It's 100 bucks in the Mac App Store and worth every penny. It's just the, the app you need. And once you get that, you're in shape. Now, if you want to record, and we talked about this a bit on the self-publishing episode we did about two or three months ago. And we talked about it a little bit with Don McAllister's workflow show. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a variety of ways to capture an iOS device on your Mac. It's got a lot easier in the last four months or so. It used to be you needed a device like that $300 Blackmagic device I was talking about earlier in the show today. But now there's a great app. It's called Reflector. Reflections. No, they, re- they renamed it. Oh, it's, Reflection. It, oh, okay. It started out Reflections, and now it's called Reflector. Okay. What? Did I get it wrong? I'm right. Okay. See, you should listen to Adam. It used so, to be called Reflection. And I don't remember how much I paid for it. It was like 20 or 30 bucks. And what it does is it sets up your Mac as a receiver for AirPlay sharing. So... When you go on your iOS device to share, like with your Apple TV, your iMac will show up on the list, too. As soon as you press the button, anything... As, as long as you're on the same Wi-Fi network. Yeah, you've got to be yeah. on the same Wi-Fi network. And it, as soon as you press the button, anything on your phone or your iPad shows up on your screen. And it has a nice full screen button, so it gets rid of all of the icons on your desk, and it looks very professional. And once you do that, then you fire up ScreenFlow, that show, app I was talking about a minute ago, and just have it record your screen, and then you're good. The other advice is get yourself a decent mic. Um, I, I think it's so sad when an application developer makes an amazing app and they want us to see a, a screen flow of it or a, a screencast of it, and they, they make a great screencast, but they use the built-in mic on the Mac, and it sounds like they're in the Holland Tunnel or something, and it's really terrible. For a couple hundred bucks, I have my professional microphone as a Rode Podcaster that mm-hmm. cost me all of 200 bucks, and... So for very little money, relatively, you can really improve the audio, and that makes all the difference. So that's really, there's not a lot of rocket science to this stuff, you know, just a couple good apps and a lot of patience. Um, I once posted at Max Barkey, I did a 45-minute screencast for Smile, which is just down the street here, and, and I showed uh, a screenshot of my screen flow at the end, and there, in this 45-minute screencast, there were something like 200 cuts. I mean... It just shows how incompetent I am at this stuff, but if you just stick with it long enough, it'll look good at the end anyway, because uh, it's like video editing. You can cut out the bad things. All right. And I want, I want to add a couple of things to what you said. ScreenFlow is a great app, 
and I've, I've found that I've only been using it at a fraction of its potential. Yeah. Don McAllister has a great series. If you already subscribed to a screencast online, he's got like a four-part series on that. I believe he's redoing some of that to update it for version 4. Or he's got one of his apps is on ScreenFlow. So if you just want to see the ScreenFlow stuff for a couple of bucks, you can download the ScreenFlow app and uh, ScreenFlow tutorial app and see that. And the Reflector app. If you ever are in the position where you need to demo an iOS device, I do this all the time. This has this has changed my mug. Mug is a Mac user group. If you're not avail- uh, a Mac user group, you should check it out and see if you have one in your area. If you like this type of stuff, uh, Reflector has changed my Mac user group because it has completely opened up the number of applications that we can demo from just demoing things. Um, on a Mac using a projector because we can plug our Mac into projector. Um, you know, now it's opened up the entire world of iOS devices because before we were trying to use these kludgy, you know, camera systems to video our iOS devices and they were constantly getting out of focus and there was glare and it would never work. But if you are ever in a position where you need to demo an iOS device or demo something on an iOS de- or, uh, you know, an app that you're using on your iOS device, uh, Reflector connected to a Mac um, or connected to an IT, Apple TV or whatever you want to do. That's just a great thing to have in your toolbox. All right, so one more use for Reflector. Um, everybody know about the Apple TV trick where you can get an Apple TV and share your iPad to it? That's the AirPlay mirroring feature. So sometimes I, I speak somewhere and I bring an Apple TV with me. I've actually done this in the courtroom where I'll bring an a, uh, a Airport Express and an Apple TV, and I plug them both in. I make a small network in the room. I don't even hook it to the Internet because I don't want anything. I don't want to get a notification from my wife about taking out the trash when I'm giving closing statement, right? But it's just a private network with Wi-Fi on it. Then I plug an Apple TV in, and then I'm able to put both the iPad, the Mac, and the projector on this same little mini network, and I can use it. Uh, publicly and obviously put a password on it so nobody else jumps into your network. Um, sometimes you don't have the Apple TV with you, but you do have your Mac connected to a projector on the same network as your uh, iPad. In fact, if you've got Wi-Fi sharing on your iPad, you can create a network right in the room. Um, then, if you want to show your iPad on the screen, you just fire up Reflector and you project from your Mac. Did I go too fast? Make sense, everybody? All right, so that's a, that's another way to use reflector, I think, very creatively. The other thing is, if you've got a normal projector or an older projector or less than a high-end projector that only has the VGA input, because the Apple TV only has a HDMI output, um, the people over here at Canex, this sounds so backwards, but you need it, has an HDMI to VGA adapter, not VGA to HDMI, HDMI to VGA. It goes backwards of the way you think it would, so it kind of dumbs down the Apple TV signal and takes it to VGA, and I've, I've thrown that in my presenter bag, so I've got the Apple TV in there, the Airport Express in there, that adapter in there, and I can pretty much run just about anywhere, so that's a good tip. Any other questions? Uh, Reflector is not on the App Store because it's not sandboxed. You'll have to Google it. Yeah, Reflector is off the reservation. Apple doesn't even know it exists. And, and keep in mind, it's a Mac app, not an iOS app, which is why you're not finding it. It's got to be running on your Mac. Yeah. So, All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to Mac Power Users, and it's great to see you all here at least once a year, and uh, we will see you next year. Thank you. Katie, that was so fun.
Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Macworld and our takeaway from it. But before we do that, let's give a little bit more time to our exclusive sponsor for this show, Smile. And I'd like to talk about Smile's other great product, Text Expander. And I was just talking to a friend today uh, who I turned on to Text Expander, and she was telling me how this is like life-changing software for her. It allows her to get her work done faster and get home to her kids. And that's exactly how I view Text Expander. It just makes everything so much easier. In fact, I am starting a new series at Max Sparky. I'm going to... Um, Hopefully have the first post up before the show goes live, and I'll put a link in the show notes, or if not, just go to Max Sparky, you can find it, where I'm going to start featuring snippets from my library and some of my friends' libraries that I think are helpful to you. And one that I have in mind is this new one where I get emails from a lot of people in different countries that come across the show or the site or the books, and I always think it's fun to give salutations or or even just say goodbye to somebody in their own language. So when I get you know an email from someone in Japan, I can say goodbye in Japanese or in you know Spain I can say in Spanish. So I've created these snippet lists of salutations uh, in foreign languages and I have the accent characters right and everything and I'll just type uh, Germany goodbye you know or Germany thanks. And I'm starting to slowly put this library together as people, as I hear from people. So if you're from another country and you want to help me build my snippet library, write me a nice email and that'll inspire me to do it. But that's just another example of how Text Expander can make your life easier. Uh, so the idea behind Text Expander is you should never have to type things more than once. If you've got any snippet of text that you're going to be doing repeatedly, create a snippet for it in Text Expander. Then type your little short phrase and it pops right in there. I've got snippets that are just one word and I've got snippets that will fill in pages of text and all of it works great. Again, there's a screencast for this where I can go through and show you uh, how I use some of the fill-in features. I'm going to go ahead and link that in the show notes. And uh, it's a great application. You buy it directly from their website. Now, you don't get this from the App Store because it's got so much, you know, magic unicorn tears in it that it won't work through the App Store. You know, it, it, uh, so you go to the smilesoftware.com to get it. It's $34.95, and it's some of the best money you're going to ever spend if you spend any time sitting at a computer and you want to get work done quickly. Yeah. And they've also got Text Expander Touch for iOS. And when I went to Macworld this past week, I went iPad only. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that on a future show. But I, I was really curious, can I do Macworld without a Mac? And being away from the office and responding to emails and doing blog posts and things like that, I, I actually got quite a bit of work done from that iPad. And I, I took my external keyboard. And I've got to say a huge amount of that work that I got done was thanks in large part to the text expander library that I had built up. It syncs via Dropbox to the iOS device um, so you can have all of your snippets everywhere. And especially ByWord was my editing app of choice, but you can use whichever one you want because there are so many apps that have text expander support built in or through the iOS app. Um, you know, I was able to compose entire blog posts and significant email responses and even get a little work done from my hotel room when I needed to thanks to that Text Expander app on the iPhone. So uh, Text Expander for Mac is $34.95, or you can get an upgrade for $15 from an earlier version. And Text Expander for iOS is $4.99, and you can find that in the App Store. So thanks again to Smile for sponsoring our coverage of Macworld iWorld, and uh, can't wait to see you guys and gals next year. So Katie, uh, now we're back home, back in the it real sucks, world. It sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. I, I enjoy Macworld. Uh, more than I properly should. 
And uh, I think it's because I have a day job and I, I have, you know, a life separate from the stuff I do as Max Sparky that I really relish the time that we get to go up there. I only get to see you once a year and this is always great. That's true. And um, I only get to see really or interact directly with the listeners once a year as well. And it's interesting to me because, and I guess we'll talk about Macworld in just a second, but just the, the relationship with our listeners. You know, you know the numbers are good. You see that the show's doing well. But that's very cold to me. But when I go to Macworld and someone walks up to me and tells me how they've used something we did on the show to improve their life, it's very humbling to me, you know, that we've actually, you know, reached people in that way. And I just can't say how much it in inspires me to try and make this show better. And I, uh, I, I don't know. The people that listen to the show just continue to amaze me. And, and being there at Macworld and meeting a bunch of them really touched me. Well, the people who listen to the show are incredibly smart people. And it just makes you strive to do even better for them every week and realize, wow, there are people out there who are, who are really listening, who are, who are really grabbing a hold of this stuff that we're doing. And boy, we, we really owe it to them to do a really good job of this. And, uh, it, it, it is so humbling. You're right to go to a place like Macworld and to meet these people. Um, and I've had people who, who've come to Macworld and brought their kids up to me and, um, uh, you know, you know, it's just you know, little Mac geeks and in training. I know you got schooled by a twelve-year-old. I think, didn't you? On the yeah, we had a we had a fan who brought um, his son, who's a twelve-year-old, who started you know putting me to the screws over some some Apple Script technology there. And <laughs> how cool <laughs> I thought, is that? I thought it was awesome. I wanted to bring him over and introduce him to you know Ken Case at Omni and see if we could get him a job because the kid was so smart. But uh, uh, anyway, it, it, that is awesome. And uh, thanks, everyone, for coming to visit us and supporting us. And uh, we hope to see you next year at Macworld. And just in terms of the show overall, it's it's been an interesting ride. I mean, when we first started going to Macworld, it was back in the the heydays of, of the Apple booth that was basically took over one of the halls or a big portion of it. And, you know, it really was uh, a big, big show. And there were lots of vendors, multiple halls, and it took days to kind of get through it all. And it's it's shrunk over the years because, you know, Apple pulled out and a lot of companies are are pulling out of these types of shows. But I think what Paul and Kathy and everybody did was uh, really special. They've, they've turned the focus of the show uh, to the users. And now it's almost a celebration of creativity that comes from using these Apple products. And it's a lot more about what the users bring to the community than it than it ever was and i think that was the exact right way to go and and it's really a lot of fun when you go there and you see the artwork created by users and you see people dancing and playing the drums outside and i don't know i just i'm really happy with it and uh i can't think of a better iteration of macworld than where it has gone the last few years and and even just the way they've lowered the price for the iFan passes, so now everybody can afford to get one. I mean, I think it was at one point fifty, and then it, it ultimately a hundred dollars to get one of these iFan passes, and that allows you to attend all these great sessions given by really smart people. When I gave the iBooks author session, the room was full, and yeah, you rocked were, that, by the way. I mean, oh, that was you. that was one of the best sessions I was at all week. And it was really great because afterwards people were walking up to me telling me how they're making children's books and how they're and all this great stuff people are doing with this. And everybody was eager to learn my experiences, but 
we were all kind of like uh, in it together at the same time. It was just so fun. And uh, it's really hard for me, frankly, to return to normal, you know, civilian life after spending time with so many great friends that share this passion towards this stuff. So uh, if you didn't make it, um, I get it but shame on you anyway. You should get there next year because it really is a, a great way to give yourself a boost and uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah, you know, and and even though the focus has shifted, I think, more to a festival perhaps type atmosphere and certainly more of a focus on the users, that doesn't mean that there's any shortage of content. I mean, we were at the show for three full days plus, you know, a day on the either side here or there. And I didn't see everything. I'm still coming back and watching Chuck Joyner's great uh, coverage for Mac Voices, and he hit booths that somehow I managed to miss. Um, I still didn't get to see all of the the talks and the conference session that I wanted to see. Uh, Macworld Magazine had a live stage that had uh, content going on multiple times a day that I still didn't get to see everything. Thankfully, they're uploading a lot of that to their YouTube channel, and I, I just saw they posted more videos today. They haven't yet posted our session, David, as of the time we're recording this, but if they do, um, we'll be sure to link it and, and, and put it in the show notes and post it to the website so that you can watch it as well. That was a wonderful experience, and I, I thank uh, Jeff for coming down and uh, Brett for, for contributing and, and Dan for, for asking us both to come. So uh, that was a wonderful experience. But there is there is so much to do at Macworld. And when I got back to the office this week, people were asking me, um, so did you go to Alcatraz? No. Did you go down to the wharf? No. Did you go to the, uh, woods? No. Did you spend any time in wine country? No. They were like, well, what did you do on this vacation when you went out to San Francisco? And I was just like, well, yeah, it's really hard to explain. Yeah. Keep them in the dark. That's what I do. They're yeah. like, how was your trip? It was fun, and I'm glad to be back. <laughs> That's all I say. <laughs> I had the goal for the longest time that um, the people I work with would have no idea of the existence of Max Sparky till my funeral, but the word got out somehow at some point. But uh, it, it really is just a blast to go here. And everybody who came up and introduced himself to me, please, please, uh, uh, thank you so much, and and please come back and see me. I uh, I really enjoyed meeting you all. And uh, anyway, I think we're gushed enough about over this, but but Macworld is a, is a very special place, and I'm a big believer in it, and um, and I'm glad to have seen you again, Katie. Yeah, it's great to see you, David. And and I will say for those of you who didn't make it this year or thinking about making it last year, according to my badge, and I don't know if if this is set in stone, but the tentative dates for 2014 is February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, which is different because it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But that could be a good thing for people who have day jobs. Um, again, those dates have shifted before, but the tentative dates, it looks like, is February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, so that can give you something to put on your calendar and shoot for next year. I've already got the time off at work. I'm ready to go. Yeah, me too. So we've got links to everything that we talked about, both on the show floor and afterwards um, in the uh, on the website, and you can find that at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us a note to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Mac Sparky. And by the way, everybody, you need to go check out Katie's blog. She's really amped her game lately, I think. Well, thank uh, you. You're doing you some great stuff so. over there. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm plugging out posts from uh, Macworld. I'm trying to cover some cool stuff that I saw on the floor. And uh, I'm just trying to take a cue from you, David. I've, I've been in awe of Mac Sparky for a while and uh, just trying to step up my game a little bit. Well, you yeah. definitely have. 
Um, and uh, thanks, everybody. I think that will probably wrap up our Macworld coverage here on Mac Power Users. We'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, and, uh, and we'll be back next week. See you then. Thank you.